0: Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. How does a wizard get his bearings when he goes somewhere new? How? He casts Find Familiar. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on
1: Compelled Duel. (laughs) I thought you were dead. They took you and I thought you were dead and that it was my fault.
0: I'm sorry for lying to you and for making Leo lie to you.
1: You don't ever have to apologize for the fact that the people that were supposed to protect you chose to hurt you instead, Ferora. Especially not to me.
0: It's hard sometimes to try and say what I'm thinking.
1: Whatever monster is currently sitting on the throne of Astraria, I will help you kill it. Okay. So we go, we scout out the tower. We see if we can find wherever they're keeping what's controlling that spell. We somehow manage to get in there and shut it down. And then we go after the turrets.
0: The Hierophant makes another vague gesture with his priest's knife and then slashes it across this young man's throat.
1: And the priests chuck him over the side of this hole. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's what they did to Sorin. You see the chasm from your dreams.
0: This huge
1: crowd, thousands of people, thousands of ghosts. We're going to have to take over the whole island. That's the only thing we can do.
0: I'm inclined to agree with that, yeah. What's the problem with that?
1: I still haven't told you everything. Sid Illidan the Hierophant of Australia, takes two big, confident steps into this clearing. Keeping secrets, Sabine. That's not like you. Truth dies in darkness, after all. Hey, sis. Long time no see.
0: Leo, we find you in the woods on the island of Luxagolin with your sister, your boyfriend, your sister's girlfriend and boyfriend, and Sid Illidan, the Hierophant of Astraria. What are you doing?
1: No time to think, no time to talk. Leo's gonna football tackle him. You're gonna football tackle a 15-year-old? We just watched him murder a man. I mean, yeah, he's a murderer, but he's a 15-year-old murderer. And we just watched him slit a dude's throat. Leo's not taking any chances, and it's not like Leo's a linebacker for the goddamn Patriots. He's 5'2 and 110 pounds soaking wet. Getting tackled by him isn't going to hurt Sid that much. Uh, roll a
0: grapple check. <sighs> Shit,
1: I gotta roll athletics for this, don't I? Yes, sir, that's how grapple works. Cool, negative one. This should end well. (laughs) A nine.
0: Okay, and Sid can roll acrobatics, so let's see.
1: (gasps) (laughs) Eat shit, you little punk.
0: (laughs) He rolled a natural one. So it's a six. So I body this teenager, is what you're telling me? Yeah, you tackle this gangly high school freshman. (laughs) He tries to, like, wriggle out of your grasp in a way that you think he is very used to being able to do, but he has very obviously just gone through a growth spurt, and he does not know what his limbs are doing right now. So you manage to get him in a
1: headlock. (laughs) Fuck me running. Okay. Yeah, Leo braces an arm around his neck and just holds him in place. You got two seconds to start talking. Sid, in this headlock,
0: yells, Get him off of me! And then, like, tilting his head enough that he can look up at you and glare, he goes, How dare you, I am the voice of Kimrel! Yeah, and he's a punk ass bitch too, you don't scare me. Sid, the voice of Kimrel, the Hierophant, the highest ranked priest in Australia, slaps ineffectually at you. (laughs) Sabine puts her head in her hands, and the captain kind of looks around at everybody and goes, Ah, should we be raking this up? Sid stops slapping at you and looks up at you again and goes, Does this make you feel good? Make you feel tough? Like a big man? I'm 75. I can't even grow a mustache yet.
1: Neither can I. You're not special. You think I care that you're going through puberty? I did that shit twice. Is anybody gonna hogtie him before he stabs one of us?
0: Fee, as the only other person in this group that has watched this 15-year-old slit somebody's throat, is gonna take a length of rope out of
1: her bag and just tie him up. Okay, as soon as he's tied up, Leo's going to try to locate and confiscate his priest's knife and then drop him on the ground.
0: Yeah, you easily locate his priest's knife. It's on a loop around his belt. You grab
1: that and just drop him. Just drop him? (laughs) In a heap? Well, I mean, given that Leo is operating under the assumption that this is the person that probably killed his fiance, he's not exactly inclined to treat him with kid gloves. So, yeah, he drops him. The hierophant hits the ground, flops over onto his side,
0: looking like the very picture of teenage angst, and says, Yeah, this is a real low
1: point for me, I have to admit. Leo ignores that and whips back around to look at Sabine. Okay, you seem to be the other person here who can clarify all of this. What the hell did he mean, hey, sis?
0: Sabine still has her head in her hands, and she just scrubs both of them down her face. As from behind you, Sid says, It's a pretty unambiguous phrase. Sabine says, Shut up, Sid. And then she turns to Fee and says, You remember what I told you about the night my parents died? About what Defiance did. And Fee's eyes go extremely wide.
1: Okay, for literally everybody else here who's out of the loop, what did Defiance do? Still from the ground, Sid says. I'd be happy to clear that
0: up if I wasn't hogtied in the dirt right now. Okay, great, so talk. As you turn to look at him and say this. Sid looks up at you resentfully, blows a chunk of hair out of his face, and says, I don't have
2: to tell you shit. (sighs) Sabine, I'm gonna kill him. Sabine sighs and says, Please don't kill him. And
0: then she steps past you and kind of squats down, so she's roughly on Sid's level, and says, Sid, here's the thing. Sometimes you say things, and it makes people want to commit acts of violence upon you. Not me. I'm your sister. I love you. But some people
2: just... Mm. So it would be really beneficial for the situation if you could just, just... Let me handle it, please.
0: Sid shifts his glare to her and says, Oh yeah, because you have such a good track record of handling dangerous situations that I'm in.
2: Ooh.
0: Sabine winces as he says that, and then Sid turns to the rest of the group and says, Not to interrupt a good interrogation once it's gotten started, but can we take this to a different locale? Because people are going to be looking for me.
1: Very soon. Fine. We need to go back and tell everyone else what's going on anyway. Somebody get him up. Zed is gonna sling the
0: hogtied hierophant over his shoulder. And you all head back down the beach to the rowboat, where the rest of your party are.
1: Hello again, everybody.
0: We've got a visitor. You all stand there for a second, and then Ravaine says, Okay. Is no one else gonna say it? I'm gonna say it. Did you kidnap a child?
1: I mean, a child that definitely kills people, if that helps improve the optics any. You also kill people! Ravain, I appreciate you. I get that you're trying to hold me accountable in this. Hold me accountable later, let's get off the beach. I-
2: Okay! Sabine
0: clears her throat and says,
2: I have, uh, something that could
0: help us out here. And then she does a little dance move and raises her hands above her head, jingles her bells. And casts one of her new spells, which is Mordecanon's Magnificent Mansion. Instantly, there is a shimmering sheet of magic in the air in front of all of you. And then it coalesces and clarifies into a set of beautifully crafted double doors, big glass panels in the front. Sabine gestures at it and says, It'll only last
2: for a day, but that's enough.
1: That'll certainly work. Leo's gonna open the door and go in.
2: You walk into this magnificent mansion spell.
0: As soon as you're in, you kind of recognize the architecture of the space that you're in. It's very, like, southern Australian. High, curving ceiling. Big archways on either side of the double doors for ventilation purposes. The space outside the archways is nothingness, but
2: the place seems nice. Roll Insight for me really quick. 21. As you walk in,
0: you notice that Sabine's shoulders go very tight, and Sid, still on Zed's back, grimaces. Neither of them says anything, they just look tense
2: nice digs okay Zed put him down
0: yeah there's like a little sitting area in this entry hall and Zed just plops it down on a chair as the rest of your party kinda gets their bearings in this room your mother turns to Sabine and says this is very well constructed but uh, divination magic can still find its way inside of a Magnificent Mansion spell, so I would love to cast something to mitigate that, if you don't mind. Sabine kind of wraps her arms around herself and nods and says,
2: Uh, yeah, I think that sounds like
0: a great idea. And then she goes and sits also in one of the little chairs in the seating area as Adana starts to cast Private Sanctum.
1: Leo just starts pacing, glaring at Sid the whole time. Okay, so. Let's start from the very beginning, Your Holiness. You mentioned defiance. I know she's had a hand in all of this, but maybe I was foolish for thinking that our issues with her were over when she died. Explain. Quickly.
2: The Hierophant Still tied up, but
0: now sitting in a chair, so he looks a little dignified. Sits up a little straighter, juts his chin challengingly, and says, It's really not that long of a story. There have always been plenty of orphans running around Elnaeus. I was a good pickpocket with a little bit of clerical talent. And the beacon is the foremost collector of talent in the known world. Or at least it was. He looks over at Sabine for a moment and then shakes his head and says, When I was 50 years old, I became an orphan again. My siblings had to run for their lives, and Defiance was supposed to be helping. Didn't work out that way, so I found myself on
1: Luxagolin. She sold you to the priesthood. Probably to be a beacon plant and feed information back to the mainland, Right. Sabine, Fee, does that motive track with you two?
0: Fee has sat down next to Sabine as Sid has been talking and looks at her for a second and then looks back at you and says, Uh, considering that defiance was in Alasha's pocket, absolutely. Sabine has a white knuckled grip around the arms of the chair that she's sitting in, and clears her throat, and says <clears> throat> She said she was taking him to a safe house. I was trying to do the same with one of our other surviving siblings. I... I trusted her. And I didn't have the time to follow up. I had to leave the country.
1: Leo clenches his hands behind his back and starts pacing a little bit faster. No, no, we're missing something here. Something's not adding up. If all of this happened 25 years ago and they sent you here to be a beacon plant, then why does nobody in the beacon know the truth about what happens on this island?
0: Sid gives you a very acidic glare and starts talking very nonchalantly. Well, it's because. <coughs> and then he stops
2: with a choked sound. <sighs> Because what? Share with the class. You watch the Hierophant's
0: jaw go very tight. And he shakes his head, rolls his shoulders, and very carefully says, Because the vows of priesthood (coughs) have certain limitations
1: that they impose. What kind of limitations? What does it look like?
0: And roll me an arcana check. 22. Leo, you have never been very into the study of magical theory, but you did go to classes on it, and Gaius is a pretty powerful and well-known spell with very recognizable consequences.
1: Leo stops pacing and grimaces. (sighs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Magical gag order. The church would collapse from the inside out if people on the mainland knew what goes on here, so they keep you from talking about it. Well, on the bright side, you didn't give any information to Alasha, but... I'm betting that you probably can't give any to us either. Shit. Ding ding ding, we have a winner. Your sarcasm helps nothing, you snot-nosed little- Okay. Okay, we need to just decompress for a bit and come up with a plan. With no help and no information about what we're dealing with. This is fine. Sure
0: thing. Can you untie me while you do that? My hands are falling asleep.
1: Fine. But if you try anything- See that big guy over there? Leo nods at Zed. Sid also looks over at Zed.
2: Yes? It's gonna be him that tackles you instead of me.
0: The hierophant wrinkles his nose, and then lets you untie him.
1: (laughs) Leo does so, and then runs a hand back through his hair, and just stares into the abyss for a second. I need... There's a lot of things I need right now, but I need to go think. I'm gonna come up with something for us to do. And he's gonna turn around and walk out of this front foyer to try to find somewhere to sit and get his shit together.
0: Yeah, there's a big, grand staircase in this entry hall. I think you go up it. As you're walking up the stairs, you hear Don't worry, buddy, I'm not gonna tackle you. And then, I'm not your buddy. (laughs) At the top of these stairs, you find yourself in a hall with a bunch of doors, and they are all labeled with little brass nameplates on them. In order, left to right, the names read Sabine, Florian, Colette,
2: Sorrel, Jay, Amelie, Hugo, Ashrin, Oberon, and Sid.
1: Hey, Al, when Sabine cast the Magnificent Mansion spell, did she model this place after her childhood home?
2: Yeah. Fuck off!
1: Well, Leo full-body cringes at that realization. And, um, yeah, he doesn't want to go in Sabine's room, that's her space. Uh, he's gonna go open one of the doors with a name that he doesn't know. I think the closest one to him, so Cyril.
0: You open this door, and there is nothing but void behind it. It is a door to nowhere.
1: Ugh. Okay, he's gonna go down a couple doors and try the one that says Hugo?
0: Nothing. Door to nowhere.
1: Okay. He's gonna try one of somebody that he knows is alive. He's gonna try Florian's door.
0: You open this door. It's a pretty nice room. It's kind of small, but it has kind of the big high ceilings. There's a window against the back wall that you think must open up to some kind of courtyard, but you can't see anything through it. It's just more of that inky, extra planar void. But it's got a nice comfortable bed, an armchair up in a corner. It's full of art supplies, like, everywhere. As you move in, you can see a half-finished painting on an easel of... Three figures, one you immediately recognize as a much younger Sabine. They're all sitting in a garden talking. Sabine is in the middle. Next to her on her left is a much older Australian elven woman, kind of darker brown skin, a pile of kind of light silver going on white hair. Wearing a very nice but very casual flowing set of robes and a lot of jewelry. And on Sabine's other side is a very short Asherian elven woman with blunter ears than you're used to. She looks like she may be even partially of like gnomish heritage with ashy brown hair tied back in a practical braid, gesturing fluidly, and... The painted part of this picture kind of stops halfway
1: through drawing her body. Leo moves very carefully through this room. I think he understands how fundamentally he's kind of intruding on Florian's privacy, even though he's not here to be mad about it. Like... This is deeply and uncomfortably personal, so Leo leaves the door open, very pointedly does not snoop through anything, and just sort of sits down on the edge of the bed and buries his face in his hands.
0: You're up there for a while, and then I think you hear a floorboard creak right outside the door, and you see someone open the door a little bit. For a second you think it's Celica because you know she was present earlier, but the fact that she has let her hair down and the very sinuous grace that she's moving with says to you that this is probably Talindra.
1: Leo barely even looks up at her before going back to putting his head in his hands. (sighs) Look, if you're here to lambaste me for my life choices or the fact that I roughed up a fucking teenager- I don't really want to hear it. I know now that it wasn't all his choice, but frankly, if you had seen the shit that he's helping to enable, you wouldn't like him either.
0: Talindra kind of straightens up a little and cocks her head to the side and says, Oh, I've seen quite enough. I'm not here to give any lectures. I'm just looking for a place to clear my head.
1: Yeah, me too. Good luck finding it. This whole island is full of ghosts. The only difference between out there and in here is that in here all the ghosts are Sabine's. He reaches out with one hand and pats the mattress next to him. At least Florian's still alive. I don't think he'd like us being in his room, but any port in a storm, right?
0: Talindra walks in the room and sits down on Florian Javaris' bed. She's looking kind of idly around at the various art supplies, knickknacks, and other detritus
2: in this room. And she says, You know, I like this boy. Pays Arave a lot of attention. Yeah,
1: for everything else he is, he's good. I think it runs in the family. I'm sorry that the road led us here, Talindra. I know it's probably not easy. Talindra
0: shakes her head. Yeah, um, we jumped ship before we got here the first time, but it's... We're feeling a little unstuck, is all.
1: Unstuck. That's a good word. It's how my mother feels. (sighs) Fuck, it's how I feel. Maybe that's just what this place does to people. I shouldn't have stormed off like that, but I just... I needed to think. How are things downstairs? She
0: makes kind of a vague hand gesture. Not... fantastic. Fantastic. The rest of us just got here, we're a little confused. And everyone who isn't confused is... Understandably upset. So. She reaches back and kind of shoves a hand through her hair. (sighs) I think someone needs to take the reins. She turns her head to look over at you and says, When we discussed this place a long time ago, we agreed that it needed to be burnt down. Do we still agree?
1: We do. But since you and I had that conversation, I've gotten a lot more insight and context for the history of this place. And I'm just... (laughs) Talindra, I'm pissed. Because I didn't make this mess. This mess has hurt so many people. It's hurt me. So why do I feel like I'm the one that has to clean it up?
0: Because you're the only one here that has cleaning it up as an option. You didn't make this mess, but it was made for your benefit. You have more context? Great. Use it.
1: I don't know what to do.
0: Talindra shakes her head again and says, "I I can't tell you what to do. What not to do is to hide up here while people need you. And then she stands up, straightens her clothes, and says, And I'll just take my own advice, shall I? And she nods at you and heads out.
1: Leo watches her go and very heavily thinks about having an absolute breakdown once she's gone, and then realizes that he can't. He gets up, brushes off the front of his clothes in a very similar motion to what Talindra just did, and heads back downstairs. Fee, you find yourself in an extremely awkward situation. Most of your party is still hanging out in the foyer of this magnificent mansion spell. Leo has gone off to do whatever he's gone off to do. You notice Talindra follow him up the stairs after a few minutes. But other than that, everybody is kind of just standing around looking at each other in uncomfortable silence. Fee wants to melt into the floor. Sid, having recently been untied, is sitting in his chair kind of rubbing at his wrists. You see Zed look up the stairs like he wants to follow Leo, but then... Eleonora comes over and reaches up to grab at his hand and squeeze. And as you're standing here, you are able to kind of take in the frankly impressive complexity of this magnificent mansion spell that Sabine has cast. You've never personally seen this spell in action before, but you studied it theoretically in your lessons. And you know that a Magnificent Mansion spell comes with a staff of up to a hundred kind of semi-transparent servants that help take care of everything in the house. And a kind of fucked up thing that you notice the longer you watch is that all of these semi-transparent servants have taken on the appearance of Sabine across... A lot of different ages and states of her life. There's a very obviously teenage version of her setting dishes down around a long dining table through one of these archways off to the side. And after a minute, you feel a tug on your skirts and look down and see a version of Sabine that is almost unrecognizable. Very young, like elementary school age hair-cropped short, wearing clothes that she would never wear now. The only things that tip you off to the fact that this is her are the hair color and the big, dark eyes. Reaching up towards you as if to take your cape and go hang it on a hall tree by the door. Uh,
0: fee is not gonna take that off her. Fee's gonna go hang her cape up herself. If it will make these little spectral Sabines happy.
1: It does not make the little spectral Sabine happy, in fact. You get a look from this little magical construct that utterly exemplifies the feeling of a child who is trying their best and wonders why it's not good enough. The real Sabine is sitting on a love seat, curled up against the captain with her head on his shoulder, staring at nothing straight ahead of her and numbly reaches out to hand her traveling cloak and a rapier in a scabbard on a belt to a spectral version of herself that is about the equivalent of 16 very awkward still clearly learning what her aesthetic is that dutifully takes them and puts them in a coat closet by the door what are you doing
0: She kind of shifts back and forth on her feet for a moment and then goes and sits down next to the captain and Sabine wherever she can fit in on that love seat.
1: It takes a little bit of effort. This piece of furniture is not meant to be functional. It is very decorative. So you have to kind of cram yourself in there a bit. But the captain scooches over as far as he can and lifts up his free arm to wrap around your shoulders as you sit down. Talindra comes back down the stairs into this foyer, pauses at the bottom, and rolls her shoulders back. And you've been around her long enough to kind of see the body language shift that indicates Celica kind of taking the front again. And Celica strides off across the foyer, sits down in a wingback chair next to Adana, who is playing with strands of... Jittery, disjointed magic between her fingers and starts striking up a conversation. Not too long after, Leo also comes down the stairs. His eyes are really puffy. He looks upset. But he strides into the middle of this sitting area and braces himself a bit. Okay, how are we going to take over this island? I am open to any ideas
0: fee sits up clears her throat says well uh the natural first step seems to me to be taking over the tower it's where the church leadership is housed and whatever that thing that they're feeding people to is if we have control of it they can't push anyone else in
1: Oh, yeah, no big deal. We just have to take on a giant building full of the most powerful clerics in Astraria. What could go wrong? Fee gestures
0: at Sid and says, We have an inside man. We're all formidable fighters in our own rights. I think we have a shot.
1: Sid grimaces and kind of tangles his hands up in his lap. Well, you see, because of the... Limitations that I talked about earlier. I can't physically do anything that would act against the best interests of the church, but I can neglect certain duties that would allow all of you to do as much damage as you deem necessary. Can we work with that?
0: If that's what we have to work with, I still think we can manage.
1: Leo starts pacing again. You see Zed reach out to try to calm him down, and Leo bats him off. Okay, so we clear out the tower. Um, no one can get off this island. All bets would be off if that happened, right? The first thing anyone with a sending spell would do is get in touch with Father and bring him and... All of his remaining arsenal down upon us, which we're not equipped to deal with right now.
0: I think we have to accept that someone's going to get a sending off at some point. So we have to be secure in our position before any reinforcements can get here. Which means we have to do this fast and decisively.
1: There's a moment where Leo looks very fragile and uncertain but then he stiffens his posture, straightens up, and nods over at you? No, you're right. Okay, so we need strategy. We need a plan. I'm thinking three teams. We need a team that can go in and clear out the tower, so those will be our people that are fast, quiet, and deadly? Me, Zed, Mia, Mom. We'll need people waiting outside to take care of anybody that the initial strike team doesn't get. And then we'll need a team watching the docks to make sure that nobody makes it back to the mainland.
0: Okay, so that'd be all of our archers. Arave, Verity, Talendra, are you all okay with that?
1: Arave and Verity both shrug like, yeah, this is okay. Ravain puts up a finger and looks over at Verity and says, Well, obviously, I'm going to be involved in this. Through all of this, Celica has been settled in a chair talking to Adana. But you see her posture stiffen and she stands up and Talindra clearly goes, Yeah, we're good. Fee
0: gives her kind of a look. (laughs) And then says, All right, and that's exits on either side covered. I suppose that leaves the rest of us in the thick of it, as it were. She looks at Kalesa and then Sabine and says, Nothing left to do but smoke them
1: out, I suppose. Sabine, who is still partially dissociating, goes, Yeah, setting things on fire, I can set things on fire so good. Kalesa, however, gleefully goes, Oh, I'm so good at setting things on fire now! And she reaches up, both hands on either side of her face, snaps, and summons her wildfire spirit, which is a druid thing she can do now. This horrible little wildfire creature, like, think Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle, but with a body, like long calcifer, appears on the floor in front of her. Kalesa smiles brightly and goes, This is Bernie Cinders. Um, he does great work. This wildfire spirit looks up at all of you from the floor, and with a voice that crackles like a campfire, goes... The system is functioning exactly as intended. We've got to burn it all down.
0: Fee looks at this little fire creature and then looks at Kalesa and says, I love him,
2: actually. Right? Leo,
1: the picture of a man on the edge, just pauses where he's been pacing back and forth, looks around at all of your party, Okay, so we have a plan. Your Holiness, you should maybe go back to the tower to prevent any further questions. And, um, be ready to get the hell out. Captain, you should maybe get all of the crew off of the ship in the Banshee here to help absorb anybody that slips through the cracks and... Yeah, we're doing this, aren't we? We're doing this. Can somebody tell me that we're doing this?
0: Fee does an awkward little thumbs up and goes, We're doing
1: this. (laughs) Oh, this is, oh, mm mm-hmm. It's gonna go so well for us.
2: It's gonna go so great.
0: And doing this you are. Sid heads back to the tower at the same time as the captain goes to make contact with the crew of the ship and figure out where to position them. And as soon as he gets back, the rest of you head out. Ereve, Verity, Talindra, and Ravaine head down to the docks. And Kalesa's little fire spirit, cackling, runs off into the woods on Luxagolan towards... The sort of housing for the lower-ranking priests. You see a low haze of smoke rise over the trees. And the rest of you head off towards what used to be the lighthouse of Loksagallan. What's your
1: strategy here? (sighs) Okay, well... Sid said he was going to help us out, so... I'm assuming we have some kind of inroad that we didn't specify before all of this popped off. Leo's going to turn around to the team that is ready to catch people coming out of the lighthouse. So Fee, the captain, I'm assuming a lot of our other heavy hitters like Eleonora, Fen, Sabine, people like that. All right. You're about to hear some wild shit go on in there. Don't come in. Just catch everyone that comes out, okay? Eleanor
0: and Kalesa both settle into ready stances, going back to back. Fen squares his shoulders, hefts his axe. Fi brings her shield up. Sabine, who is just there to run heels, kind of backs off into the trees. And the captain swishes his rapier ostentatiously, grinning. Fee looks around at the rest of them and says,
1: Yeah, I think we can manage that. I need someone, I need anyone to tell me that this is a good idea.
0: There is a moment of resounding silence. (laughs) And then Mia
1: says, Well, I'm excited about it. That is not comforting, Mia. Leo's gonna look around and check his team and make sure they're all good to go.
0: Zed is looking up at this lighthouse assessingly. Your mother spreads her hands and looks at this disjointed cat's cradle of magic for a second and then snaps them back together. And Mia is just checking the balance on one of their daggers, looking ready to go.
1: Okay, so we're doing this. I'm gonna go check the front door and see what's going on there. You're just gonna try to turn the knob? The little punk said he could help us. I'm assuming that helping us includes leaving the fucking door unlocked. Al, yes, I am. Huh.
2: Okay. Roll perception. Nineteen.
0: You don't hear any noise from inside?
2: And the door is unlocked. Little bastard's good for something. Okay, come on, you guys.
1: Leo is going to slip in through the front door and look around the bottom of this lighthouse. I don't know if you need or want me to roll anything to clear the bottom floor.
2: Yeah, roll me a whiz save.
1: 25? How's that taste?
2: Tastes pretty good. You move
0: into this grand lobby, and you can hear whispering from the big pit surrounded by stones. And if you look over it, you just barely see a shifting in the light down at the bottom of it. But you are able to resist its call, and you head up the stairs.
1: I don't head up the stairs, actually. I usher Zed and Mia and Adana into the bottom of this lighthouse ahead of me, and then I shut the door behind me and I bar it.
2: Roll sleight of hand, I guess? Does an 18 do anything?
0: Yeah, that'll do it. You manage to bar and jam this door.
1: Cool, I'm gonna do some magic fuckery now. Is the area directly in front of the door any larger than ten feet in diameter?
0: No, the door is much less than ten feet wide.
1: Cool, great, awesome. I'm going to drop a fifth-level glyph of warning spell, which covers up to a ten-foot diameter. And I can bake any spell of 5th level or less into that Glyph of Warding. I'm going to specify that it will only be triggered if a member of the priesthood tries to get out through the front door. So, any member of the priesthood that tries to come into this Glyph of Warding to unbar the door... Is going to trigger a fifth level flame strike spell when they do so. That's a, uh, fuck off powerful AoE spell, just for the record.
0: Yeah, it sure is. Okay, cool. You set up this fucking essentially landmine in the middle of the floor. What other havoc are you going to wreak in my dungeon?
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Leo looks around at the rest of this infiltration party, points at each of them individually, and then points to the big spiral staircase and makes a motion as if to tell them, go all the way up to the top and shut the fuck up while you do it.
0: Okay, you start heading up these floors. Uh, I'm gonna have you roll a group stealth check, first of all.
2: Okay, Leo gets a 19.
0: Uh, okay, well. Zed rolled a 12, he gets a 17, so at least someone rolled worse than you. Uh, Adana got a 17 on the die, which means she gets a 26, and Mia rolled a nat 20. (laughs) So Mia got a 35- (laughs) So that's an average of 24, even though you rolled a 4 on the die.
1: I picked the right goddamn infiltration team is what I did.
0: (laughs) So true, okay. You managed to get up these floors without being noticed. As you hit the 9th floor, I want you to roll me a perception check.
2: 14.
0: Uh, tell me your marching order real quick, bud.
1: Leo and Zed are taking point with Mia in the middle and Adana bringing up the rear.
0: Okay. Roll me a luck check real quick. If it's above a 10, Zed is in front of you. If it's below a 10, then Leo is in front.
1: I don't like that.
0: <laughs> I rolled a natural one!
1: I rolled a natural one!
0: Leo, you are so out in front of the pack here. <laughs> I think Zed like paused on the staircase, so you get a full step in front, and you trigger something. So let me roll to hit. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, a twenty-two hits your armor class, right?
2: You fucking know it does.
0: Okay, uh, roll me a quick con save.
1: Oh, fuck. 19.
0: Okay, so first of all, you take two piercing damage, and then you take 12 poison damage as a dart comes out of the wall and hits right into the meat of your shoulder. Mmm! Cool! How's that 14 damage taste? Bitter.
1: Did I, uh, have a chance to take a short rest while we were sitting in the Magnificent Mansion spell?
0: Yes, I think you had time to do that after the captain
1: left. Cool, I'm still fucked up by getting vored by the magic turret, so I'm gonna use, like, all of my hit dice before applying this damage. So I was back up at full, but I'll go ahead and take that 14 now. And I'd like you to make me
0: a con save to not make a noise and reveal yourself as you take this damage. Eleven! That will do it. You feel this dart hit your shoulder, and it's kind of a a moment of more shock than anything as it pierces. And then you feel this burning, gnawing pain at your arm as the poison takes effect. But you do not cry out, you just... Feel your knees buckle a little bit and clutch at your shoulder.
1: Cool, I cast Find Traps immediately. So anything within 120 feet of me in a sphere that's within my line of sight, if it's trapped, I know that it's trapped.
0: That's within your line
2: of sight? Um, there's a trap on the staircase above you. Mia, I think you should go up there. Why? You don't want me to answer that. I
1: really do. Well, I just got hit in the arm with a fucking poison dart. And since you're not Australian, if that happens again further up the staircase, it's gonna hurt you less than it's gonna hurt me. Why not San Zed? Because Zed's not an immortal dragon from the goddamn moon, and I like him.
0: Mia gives you a scandalized look, and Zed says,
2: "Ah, uh, I'm not a what? Shut up, Zed.
0: Mia hisses and visibly considers pushing you down the stairs. And then they do the thing where they point at their eyes and then point at Zed's and say, Y'all be quiet now. And then they slink around you and up the stairs. I'm going to roll a perception check for Mia. No, sorry. I just realized that because of Mia's dragon stats, they cannot roll lower than the DC for this. So they get a ways up the stairs. I assume you are all following them. And they say, yeah, that's another tripwire. And I'm going to go ahead and roll for them to try and
2: disarm it.
0: They also can't roll low enough mechanically (laughs) to fail that. Okay. Uh, Mia handily disarms the tripwire and says, Alright. We're all good. And then I assume you are all heading further up the stairs.
1: Yeah, for what I'm planning to do, we need to be all the way at the top of the tower.
0: Okay, so that was the trap on the 10th floor hallway. As you move on to the 11th floor... What's your
2: marching order? Oh no, I'm letting Mia take this one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mia
0: stops at the top of the staircase, both arms spread out to stop the rest of you,
1: and goes, Really? I don't know why you're acting so shocked you're the only one of us that's actually been in here before. It's been
2: 10,000 years. They did some remodeling.
0: And then Mia disarms this third tripwire. And in front of the staircase, on this final floor, is a door which leads to the staircase into the lantern room. Mia gestures at it and goes, After you.
1: Okay. Is this door in any way covered under the 120 feet of my previous fine trap spell? It wasn't in your line of sight, so no. Motherfucker. Okay, I'm just gonna try to check for it, then. I'm gonna roll Perception. Fourteen. Seems fine. All right, cool. I'm gonna Thieves' Tools check it. Twenty-two.
0: Okay, you take one piercing damage. And... 23 poison damage
2: son of a bitch
0: <laughs> as a poisoned needle shoots out of this lock into your hand
1: <laughs> leo takes that poison damage and curses colorfully under his breath Rule stealth
2: fuck you 19
0: that'll do it but with that thief's tool check you did unlock
1: the door Oh, fan fucking tastic. <laughs> I don't feel great about using another spell slot, but I'm gonna cast Fine Traps again before I go into this room. I open the door and I drop a Fine Traps.
0: You're gonna do that just inside the door? Because the door leads to a staircase
1: up to the lantern room. No, actually, I'm not. I'm gonna reach back with my wounded hand, grab Mia by the back of the shirt, and shove them up the stairs ahead of me. Okay,
0: Mia goes up the stairs ahead of you, and as they get to the top of the stairs,
2: you hear a low... Are you also going up the stairs? Yes, with my head on a fucking swivel. So true.
0: Uh, Zed and Adana are also gonna follow you up. As you get to the top of these stairs, you are face-to-face with a skull.
1: Eh, yeah, we're in Australia, that's normal. Leo has no reaction.
0: What used to be the lantern room of this lighthouse has been replaced with essentially a mass crypt. There are just rows and rows of just racks of skulls. Each of them has a little plaque
2: on the shelf that they're resting on. Roll me history really quick.
1: 25.
2: As
0: you're looking around at these shelves, you recognize almost every name that you see. And you know instantly what this is. There is a sort of historical trend in Australia of former archdukes and their spouses, and... People who are exceptional figures, either in the Kimberlite Church as saints, or in realms of, like, great philanthropy, great service to the public of Asheria, being interred at Luxagolin. And you are standing in the middle of them. And I want you to roll me a wisdom saving
2: throw. Sure. Sure. Fine. Sure. Great.
1: This won't be traumatizing at all. Thirty twenty. 20
0: You feel a bolt of pain up your spine and a feeling like something is stabbing into your brain. And on like the edges of your peripheral vision, you can see figures moving around this room. But you manage to stomp it down, keep your shit together, and none of them fully solidify.
1: Leo brings his hands up to press against his temples and shakes his head, eye screwed shut really hard but then gets back upright, and I'd like to make an investigation check to just kind of look around further up here and see if I can find anything useful or interesting. It strikes me now that Zed is probably having a bad time, huh? He doesn't like necromancy, or bones. Oh yeah, as
0: Zed gets to the top of the stairs behind you, you hear... Uh,
2: uh, roll investigation. 21. Yeah, there are various, like, spare kind of
0: holy symbols up here. There are various, like, boxes and chests that you assume are full of, like, grave goods. And uh, there are various reliquaries kind of around the room. And there is a big suit of armor against one of the walls between these racks of skulls that is holding a longsword and looks like it is standing guard.
1: Okay, nobody try to steal anything. I think that won't go
2: well. But back up, get away from the stairs.
0: Everybody else backs up away from the stairs, closer to the racks of skulls. Adana looks warily at a couple of the skulls and just positions herself away from them. And you see Zed shudder.
2: (laughs) But everyone backs up. What are you doing?
1: something devious and unhinged i cast cloudkill down the stairs directly below us so i've done this before it's poison damage it's going to affect astrarians a lot worse yada 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 but the thing about cloudkill is that it moves 10 feet away from me at the start of each of my turns rolling along the surface of the ground and the vapors are heavier than air so they sink to the lowest level of the land even pouring down openings so this spell is going to sink down through the whole tower. And how long does it last? Uh If I'm concentrating, it lasts up to 10 minutes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> All right.
0: You cast the spell and it starts to disperse down the stairs. And then you hear... Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding.
1: And I forgot to check for a fucking alarm spell. Wonderful. Jig is up, everybody.
0: And as you're saying that, you hear,
1: Uh, boss, we got a problem. I turn around. With a
0: creak and the screech of metal sliding over itself, the big suit of armor against the wall is starting to move.
1: Fuck me. Leo turns around, gets Mia by their shirt and Adana by hers and shoves them towards the stairs. Hold your breath. Try to stay behind the spell. Clear out the tower. We've got this.
0: Mia and Adana start moving down the stairs. They're moving kind of slowly because they're trying to stay behind the spell that you've cast. But... They're moving as fast as that enables them to do. The suit of armor continues, creaking and screeching. You hear this alarm still going off. Very distantly under the alarm, you hear, Oh no, intruders. How could this have happened? Fly, you fools. (laughs) And the suit of armor steps forward and raises its longsword. Everybody roll initiative. Uh,
1: (laughs) This would be so much funnier if Zed and I were both about to die. 23. Okay, Zed
0: gets an eight, and this monster gets eight also, but it has lower dexterity than Zed does, so it's going last.
1: Okay, so I'm up first.
0: You sure are? This big suit of armor has stepped forward with its sword raised.
1: What are you doing? I am going to cast a fourth level guiding bolt. And rolled a 19 on the die, so plus 10 is 29 to hit. That will hit. (laughs) Man, I'm glad that I actually prepped some cleric spells today. Leo rears back and snaps his knife forward at this mobile suit of armor, and a bright beam of light erupts out and hits it in the chest, and I'm going to roll 7d6 radiant damage. That will be 26 radiant damage, and also it's glowing now, so the next attack on it has advantage. Leo fires off this spell, pivots around to go back-to-back with Zed, and says, Go! Punch! Kill! Zed laughs, and then says, That was really
0: patronizing! And then he is going to indeed go punch and kill. (laughs) He's gonna use a key point for Flurry of Blows. Okay, so he's rolling his first attack with advantage. The high roll is a 23, that'll do it. And second attack is... A nat 20, okay. Mr.
1: Stonebloom.
0: (laughs) And the third one, 17 on the die. Hell yes. So normally all three of those would hit, but it has a reaction that lets it parry a melee attack by adding up to six to its AC. And Zed's first hit was a 23, so that one is not going to hit. So Zed's going to do 3d8 plus 10 damage. So that's 28, and then he gets an extra attack, so he's going to roll to hit one more time. That'll do it, okay? So that's an additional 10 damage, for a total of 38. And then it's the monster's turn. This death knight steps forward with its sword raised. It's going to cast Staggering Smite. And it's going to make three longsword attacks on Zed. Oh! So let's roll this first attack, plus 11 to hit. 15. That's a miss. Second attack. No! Ah, it's the same die!
1: Oh my god, Zed!
0: That was a nat 20. Okay. The death knight is wielding this longsword two-handed, so let me roll the sword damage first.
2: Uh, That's not great. (laughs) Okay.
0: And then I'm gonna roll 8d8 necrotic damage that it just gets to add to a longsword attack. Uh. Uh, Okay, cool. And then I'm gonna roll 8d6 for the staggering smite. Okay, so that's a grand total of 85 damage
2: holy shit zed
0: and then zed has to make a whiz save uh, oh yeah 14 on the die he's fine so zed dodges out of the way of this first long sword attack and grins cockily and then the second long sword slash goes after him and gets him right in the side he staggers and you can see there's magic glimmering along the blade of the sword And Zed reaches both hands up to clutch at his head for a second and goes... "Ah." And then straightens up, bleeding heavily now. (laughs) And this Death Knight gets one more attack. Oh
2: my god, he's gonna die. He's gonna die.
0: Uh, that's a 10 on the die, plus 11. Just barely gonna hit. Okay. So before Zed can recover from this first slash... Another one goes and gets him in the arm on the other side. And I'm gonna roll that damage. It's- it's- it's fine. It's all good.
1: Al, I want you to look at me in my eyes. If you kill my boyfriend again, our friendship is over. It's all good. He's fine.
0: (laughs) 19 damage. He's okay. He has 13 hit points left. I would recommend a healing spell. YOU
1: FUCKING THINK SO?! Yeah, it's my official recommendation as your dungeon master. (laughs) YOU THINK I SHOULD CAST A HEALING SPELL ON ZED WHO YOU JUST TOOK DOWN TO 13 HIT POINTS IN ONE ROUND, AL?! YOU THINK I SHOULD DO THAT?! Yeah, I think it'd be a good idea. I'm gonna kill you. Leo watches Zed almost get fucking murdered by this thing. And lets out a panicked shriek. He just sort of lunges forward with one hand out. I don't think he really knows what he's doing. He's just acting on raw magical instinct. And his brand new 6th level spell, Heal, explodes out of his hand. And Zed gets 70 hit points back.
0: Oh yeah, see? He's fine. He's fine. He has 83 hit points now. Which is almost as many hit points
1: as... The Death Knight did damage on its first attack. I can only do that once. But for the rest of my turn, I'm gonna use my movement to get up on a flank with Zed so that A, this thing has a target that's not just him, and B, so I can get sneak attack on my next round. Assuming that I don't have to revivify anyone.
0: Okay, you draw up even. Zed, breathing heavily, favoring one arm, looks at you and goes, Yeah, I'm sure we got this! And then he's gonna punch the thing again. Uh, he's gonna use another key point for flurry of blows, and he has advantage because you're flanking. So, okay, first one. Double 17s. That's a 27, it cannot parry that. Second attack. high roll is a 24, it can parry that. Third attack. 18 on the die. Yep. <laughs> so two of those are gonna hit. Zed does another 22 damage. He just lunges up on this death knight, goes wide with the first attack, but then he's just gonna pummel it with his second two attacks, and then he also has advantage on his extra attack, so... That's a 22, that'll hit, and it doesn't have a reaction anymore, so that'll work. Barely, okay. Uh, and then 1d8 plus 5. That is an additional 13 damage. So, that is a total of 35, and you- you knocked this thing down half its hit points already, okay? It's fine. It's fine. This monster looks at the two of you, and it's going to cast Hold Person at third level. I need you to make a whiz save, and I'm going to have Zed roll one. 23. Okay, and Zed gets... 14! (laughs) This death knight looks between you and Zed, raises one hand glimmering with magic from the pommel of its sword, and you feel something like a giant, heavy hand pressing down on you, You manage to shake it off, but Zed goes down to one knee. And you see him straining against this hold.
1: Okay, is it my turn?
0: Yeah. As this monster turns back to you with both hands on its sword again, and you hear the sounds of an explosion and then combat from below your feet, what are you doing?
1: Leo shrugs off this hold person spell and spins his knife around his finger as he looks up at the Death Knight. Hey, ugly! Paws off my boyfriend. You're not his type. And he's gonna roll to hit for a fourth level inflict wounds. That's a twenty-two to hit, and it can't parry because it can only parry melee attacks. Right? This is a melee spell attack. Uh, that is accurate. I've already used my max damage on a necromancy spell from Kimroll's Blade for today, but I'm gonna go ahead and roll this 60-10 damage and then do my channel divinity to add an additional 27 necrotic damage onto this. So that's 38 from the spell plus 27 is 65 necrotic damage.
0: Okay. You raise your knife, you cast Inflict Wounds, a beam of silvery magic shoots into this Death Knight, and it brings me no pleasure to tell you that it fizzles and disperses like smoke upon contact with this armor, because Death Knights are immune to necrotic damage. Come again? You do zero damage, because Death Knights are
1: immune to necrotic damage. I do something because I have a death cleric feature called Inescapable Destruction where my necromancy spells ignore all resistances.
0: Resistance is not immunity.
1: Fuck me sideways with a cactus. Okay, well that's my turn. Leo breaks off this big bad inflict wound spell with all of the unearned confidence that he's been wielding throughout his entire life. Yeah, how's that taste, you son of a... Oh.
0: Zed, from where he's still down on one knee, grits out, Good job! And you have not wasted your turn, because you have drawn the full attention of this death knight.
2: Oh, great! I love this for me!
0: Okay, that means it's Zed's turn, so he is going to make another whiz save to try and get out of this old person. 13 on the die, that's a 23. He's out, but that's his turn. And now it's the Death Knight. Ah. Alright, first attack. That's exactly 16, meets it, beats it. That's 30 damage. I'm gonna need you to make me a DC 15 concentration check to keep that Cloud Kill active.
1: Uh, okay, but I have the Warcaster feat, so I have advantage on that. That
0: you do, and you have a plus three, so choose to roll a 12 i
1: rolled a natural one and a five nope 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 it's gone gonzo baby
0: okay so your cloud kill spell dissipates which will have consequences for everyone else but not for you because you're still in this combat
1: Maybe I won't live to see the consequences. I'm hoping that's what happens at this point. Roll your other two attacks. Second attack. Yep, that's a 16
0: on the die. That's gonna hit. So you take an additional 1d10 plus 4d8 plus 5.
1: You take an additional 29 damage. Cool, cool, because of all the damage I took from the traps, I'm down to 35. Cool.
0: And the Death Knight has one more attack with the d20 that rolled two crits in this battle. 16.
1: (sighs) Just take me out back like old yeller. Just do it. (laughs) 16, so it's just a regular attack.
0: It's fine. (laughs) Uh, you take an additional 30 damage. Because your cloud kill went down, I'm gonna roll a luck check to see if Mia and Adana are coming back for you. 19 on the die, okay.
1: We will not see the results of
0: that this round.
1: Okay, well, I'm starting out this round with five fucking hit points left. So I'm going to start out by bonus action healing wording myself at 4th level, 4d4 plus 5. 13 plus 5 is 18 hit points that I get back. And because you can't cast two spells in a round, but you can do a spell and a cantrip, I'm going to try to hit it with a sacred flame with advantage because Zed is flanking. Well, good thing I had advantage, because one of those was a natural one, but the other one is a 22, and it's a spell attack, so it can't parry. So true. Roll damage. Okay, at my current level, that's going to be 3d8 radiant damage. 17. And because Zed is flanking, can I use my charge from Kimberl's Blade to do sneak attack on a spell with this? I will let you do that.
0: And because you're doing radiant damage with the spell, I would think that sneak attack would also be radiant damage.
1: Okay, dope, so that's actually 2d6 more. Another 10, so a total of 27.
0: Okay, and then it's Zed's turn. This death knight is focused on you with its sword raised to make another attack, and Zed skids in between the two of you And he's going to make an attack, he's going to use Flurry of Blows, and then he's going to do his extra attack. And he has advantage on all four of those, because you're flanking. So, first attack. That's a 28, which means the Death Knight cannot parry that. Second attack. A 27, the Death Knight cannot parry that. Third attack. Also a 28, the Death Knight cannot parry that. And with his extra attack, he gets... That's a 20, the Death Knight can parry that. But that's still three attacks. So that's gonna be 3d8 plus 15 damage for Zed. 29. Zed skids between the two of you, grins. He is still bleeding and kind of shaky. But he says, Hey, come on, I know he's got a loud mouth, but pick on somebody your own size, huh? And then he's gonna punch this thing three times. And then it's the Death Knight's turn. It's gonna cast another staggering smite, and then it's gonna start swinging on Zed. First attack. 26, that's gonna hit. So that's gonna be 1d10 plus 5, plus 4d8, plus 4d6. Okay, so for the first attack, that's 35 damage. And then he needs to make a whiz save. Yes! Natural 19, yeah baby! So he, again, gets hit with the sword and clutches at his head with a pained noise, just... <clears throat> and then visibly shakes it off, shifts back into a fighting stance with his teeth gritted. And this death knight is gonna make another attack. That is a seven on the die that is not gonna hit Zed. It gets one more attack.
2: Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Yes!
0: That is a 5 on the die, plus 11 is 16, that does not hit.
2: Fuck yeah!
0: Zed shakes off the staggering smite, readies himself back into a fighting stance, and then this death knight swings at him two more times, and he dances out of the way and settles back at your side with his fists
1: raised, and says, Gonna have to try harder than that. Um, what's the total amount of hit points that Zed has left right now? 48. Okay, so more than I do, but not enough to take three more hits from this thing, probably. Even if Mia and Adana are coming back for us, they've been running down the stairs for two rounds, it's gonna take them at least that long to get back up. Uh, give me a second, I need to look at my spell sheet. Okay, this is my biggest Hail Mary of the campaign thus far. I'm going to try to hit it with my last 4th level spell slot with a guiding bolt. You have advantage, because Zed is flanking. So I do, thank you. 25. Ranged spell attack, it can't parry. That it cannot. That will hit. More damage. Not the best I've ever rolled, but 20 damage and Zed's first attack on it has advantage. There is a moment where Leo heavily considers dropping a 4th level life transference and knocking himself out to keep Zed up and able to take this thing down. But then he looks over at him, down at himself, at both of them, still up, still fighting. And changes his mind at the last minute before the magic leaves his knife, and lights this thing up like a beacon. He smacks Zed on the back with his free hand and says, Go get him, honey! Uh, Zed already has
0: advantage, so... How are we gonna house rule this?
1: Um... I think it says in the rules that advantage doesn't stack, but because Guiding Bolt is so geared towards giving the next attack a one-up, I would let you roll with advantage for the first attack. And if that advantage misses, you can roll one more time to take the effects of the Guiding Bolt into account.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, um, first attack. 19 on the die, baby. Because this Death Knight has such few hit points left, I'm going to roll the damage for this before I roll another attack. That is a 7 on the D8. Zed does 12 damage.
1: How many did it have left? 11.
0: (laughs) So you hit this Death Knight with this Guiding Bolt... It shoots into the armor and lights it up from the inside. You pat Zed on the back and say, go get him, honey. Zed grins wide and bright and extremely smug. And then he just uppercuts this thing, knocks the helmet off, and it goes flying out the window. And the armor falls into pieces.
1: They're both beat all to shit, but... Leo staggers back away from the fallen body of this monster looks up at Zed with a big smile, his scar tugging down at one side of it wipes away some blood from his lower lip (laughs) bit higher stakes than Hunter the Bandit, huh?
0: (laughs) He grabs either side of your face and just pulls you into a kiss
1: Well, passionately making out with somebody in a crypt full of his ancestors is not somewhere Leo would have ever thought that he would be, but he's very happy to be here right now. He tangles both his hands up in Zed's hair and kisses him back. There's
0: a long moment where you and Zed are locked in each other's arms and lips,
1: Uh, (laughs) and then you hear, Are
0: we interrupting
1: something? Oh, I don't think Leo cares to give Mia the time of day. They're still making out.
0: I think Zed can actually see the top of the staircase, so he does pull back with a pop and uh, clears his throat and straightens up. And you hear your mother's voice, very smug, say, Hmm, 86%.
1: Okay, no, if his mom is witnessing this, Leo
2: shrivels up like a shrinky dink. Okay.
0: <laughs> You and Zed pull away from each other awkwardly. Mia and Donna are indeed standing at the top of the staircase because they started running back up when the cloud kill spell failed.
2: What are you doing? Well, um,
1: we- we killed the thing, obviously. Uh, we're- we're we're good, we're fine. Uh, the threat is mitigated, and on that note- Leo's gonna start tearing through all of the reliquaries and chests and potential treasures up here. You're grave robbing your own relatives? (laughs) My relatives that put a horrifying death knight here to attack their own flesh and blood. You're goddamn right I am. (laughs) Fair enough. Roll me investigation.
0: 21. Okay, with the 21. You start tearing through these reliquaries. I think you find two diamonds, so you can cast Revivify again, <laughs> in case you need to. As you're walking around this room looking for anything useful, the ghost of Sorin appears, leaning up against one of these racks of skulls, looking around distastefully. And then he catches your eye and nods at one of these skulls, and you see that the plaque below it says, Elander
1: Oh, this should be good. Leo goes over there.
0: Just visually, like, immediately, you can tell that the skull is not shaped how you expect skulls to be shaped. The teeth are much bigger than you would expect, and there are little bumps of the roots of horns coming up from the forehead, and the eyes are shaped weird somehow it's hard to put your finger on it and this skull is wearing a golden gem studded circlet and over the forehead between the bumps where the horns used to be the circlet is closed with a big decorative engraving of a skull that lays flat against the forehead of what is left of a lander
1: Yeah, I'm feeling disrespectful. I'm going to grab it. You know what, old man? This is all your fault. I'll be taking this. It's not like you're using it. Can I Arcana check it? Yeah, roll Arcana. Dirty
0: 20. You have just picked up a magic item called the Circlet of Consequence.
1: Fucking uh uh-oh.
0: The mechanical impact of this item is that every time you miss with an attack or an ability check, the DC to crit on your next attack goes down by one. So if you miss on two attacks, then the next time you hit, if you roll an 18, a 19, or a 20, it counts as a crit.
1: And like that compounds into attacks and ability checks until I roll a nat 20?
0: Until you crit, yeah.
1: Oh, that rocks. Do I need to take the normal hour to attune to this thing?
0: Nope. It is instantly attuned to you. You pick it up and it goes almost searingly hot in your hands and then dies down to just a pleasant warmth. And you know, looking at it, that it would fit perfectly.
1: Leo weighs this circlet in his hands for a moment and then carefully picks it up and puts it on his head. He looks around at Zed and Mia and his mother and breaks out into a big, confident smile. Well, what are we all standing around up here for? We've got work to do. And that's where we're going to end for this week. I believe that gay love (laughs) can pierce through the veil of death and save the day.
0: (laughs) So true. So true. And we'll see what happens next time. On Compelled
1: Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with The Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, I'm going to go ahead and plug our social media profiles. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok, at CompelledDuel. We have lots of other cool stuff going on, however, an official website, an official Spotify profile, our official merch store, stuff like that. You can find all that stuff linked on any of our various social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the show, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of cool patron perks, including early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists and bonus content, and even handwritten letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the show in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, We ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that you leave us a rating and a review since that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience. We host a weekly Q&A show on our YouTube every week, and we would love to see you show up for that, ask a couple questions, we always have a really fun time. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, we ask that you just tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a couple friends as well. Word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. Our next episode will be going live on Friday, April 29th, 2022. Or if you're a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting your early access to that on Thursday, April 28th. Thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week.